hey, good news, I'm on the right mic. <laughs> nice. I was about to ask. I checked as I was counting down. <laughs> hey, have you heard about this? Um, maybe we do this on this show, the millennial pause. What is so that? What is that? The millennial pause apparently is that we, when we make videos or social media content in general, mm-hmm. we like have this pause, this period of time at the beginning of the recording where we're not doing anything because we're waiting to make sure that like it's recording. Oh, and Gen Z doesn't do that because they're like, apparently Gen Z just launches in both feet. Like these are the first guys <laughs> over the top when the machine guns are raking down people in World War One. They just bloop. Yeah, why not? Total trust in the system. I don't understand it. Yeah, but they do it. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's the thing with TikTok. It's so fast paced that you're like, whoa, like I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cool ones will actually do like the, I think they're cool, where they do the perfect loop, you know? Oh, yeah. That's cool. And so you just end it. The video ends up going, and well, oh, yeah, hell, he did he had a really good transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have trouble timing out my like Instagram story videos. So like, I I know I can't do it. I'm not qualified. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's sad. Even our mom told me to get on TikTok more. She was like, you really need to go to TikTok to promote your book. I'm like, I know, mom. I know. (laughs) I don't need you to tell me. (laughs) It's the place. That said, I don't post anywhere. So (laughs) this is my soul. Uh, my sole form of connecting to people who I'm not paid to connect with. That's true. And you, you have a filter that is me. So yeah, <laughs> I, w- I should get one of those. <laughs> Read all my DMS for me. Um, okay. Real quick. Cause we don't have an intro. Just listeners go buy my book, I guess. <laughs> I haven't oh. actually plugged it on the show. Yeah. Plugging stuff up top. There you go. Oh, fuck it. You, no one listens to the outro anymore. It's pre-recorded. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm holding this episode hostage. Go read my book. It's called I Mija. Mija is spelled because I learned through this process. No white person knows how to spell Mija. <laughs> because I guess it's a family term. So why would you learn that? It's M-I-J-A. And yeah, it's a graphic novel about me growing up, going to Mexico, doing shit, being bad at Spanish. Yes, it's good. I've read it. I like it. Thanks. I'm biased, but. Yeah, it's you're, fine. You're we're not in here it. to offer the not biased take as we're repeatedly reminded. So It's true. It's very true. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the environment. And since, we, you know, we've touched on it before in the past, uh, but since we haven't done a deep dive, I wanted to start with some readings um, just to give us a good feel for uh, environmentalism, uh, eco-socialism, eco-communism, and, and how those things interact and how they interact with our very big nemesis, capitalism. Yeah, capitalism, it sucks. If you take nothing else from this episode, (laughs) that's the lesson. I think you're going to get that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's dive into it. Cool. Uh, So, yeah, we're going to kind of go through a series of readings. Kind of up top, though, we were looking to maybe give sort of a definition of what we're talking about when we're talking about eco-communism, eco-socialism. And I don't know, I feel like we can ground that sort of in what we're about to jump into. And then that way you guys can see as we're talking about it, you can kind of see those threads as they, as they build throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I didn't write one of those. Did you write a definition? (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So from my understanding of it, uh, this is essentially the, 
uh, eco-communism, eco-socialism is essentially the plan to save the planet through communism. Great. That's easy. <laughs> Got <laughs> it's, it. Done. And, it's the planet is in dire straits. It needs to be saved. Uh, we have to radically change what we're doing to save it. The way to do that, the only way to do that is communism. Yeah, I think that's an important part of this. Uh, I was going to say doctrine, but it's not that strict. But you know, it's an important part of this ideology is that like, hey, guys, this is inherently tied. You know, the things that are happening ecologically that are in a bad way are inherently tied to capitalism. If we keep doing this, we're going to die. And the only way to get out of this is through communism. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we'll repeatedly see is that whereas maybe in our earlier days, when we look at oh, the different types of communism and socialism stuff, we might say, oh, there's eco. And that's just like where you care about the earth a little bit more. <laughs> like It's not really okay to just silo it off and say like, hey, that's like if you're for your for your weird little nature friends, like <laughs> for your vegan friends, you kind of have to do this. No one wants to establish the commune on the wasteland that was once earth. <laughs> exactly. Like, and I, I think that is, Definitely, it's a big missing piece in a lot of our discussions, especially since so much of communist history is grounded in in Marx and in uh, like the early Soviet Union um, or in Stalin and like things, projects where we don't talk as much about the environment, even though the environment was a concern to those projects. And we will look at that today as well. But it's something that doesn't get emphasized. And in fact, it's often a critique of socialist projects of like, well, they're so worried about production, they don't give a shit if they're fucking up the earth. And it's like, "Mm, I don't know, I'm gonna put my money on them over the capitalists here. (laughs) Yeah, because that's another big thing that we're going to talk about today is how incapable capitalism is in this situation like how it truly cannot (laughs) yeah like they're 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 they don't want to they are unable to it's impossible for it to to save the environment in the short term or to preserve it in the long term like it's it's got the wrong goals and that's what we'll talk about it is diametrically opposed to that it's it just cannot do that yeah Let's get into it then with our our first reading called Nature and the Communist Manifesto. You can find this on our good old pal, Marxist.org. Just do a little search. Uh, This is an article by John Bellamy Foster. He is an American professor of sociology at the University of Oregon. I like his Wikipedia little, you know, you have your box with your picture and little descriptors. So it's like occupation, employer, blah, 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 known for Marxist writings, which is great. I mean, that's great. (laughs) That's good. That's going to be me one day, like known for (laughs) comics about their sad childhood (laughs) and (laughs) Marxist blatherings. (laughs) It wasn't that sad. It just I made it sad. Okay. anyway. So, yeah, we wanted to see what Papa Marx has to say about the environment. And is it compatible with having a more ecological mindset. I mean, TLDR, yes. <laughs> it's very <laughs> compatible. I think this is important to get into because so many of us kind of carry over from just our received history or common sense understanding that Marx and Engels, they come from the before times when nobody was thinking about the environment. And so obviously they had nothing to say about it. They didn't think of it. It's not their fault, but like (laughs) they definitely didn't 
you know, that was just not a thing for them. Yeah, there's there's this idea in, in the culture that no one cared about the environment until like the 60s and 70s. And that's just patently untrue. I mean, you have John Muir clubs, which are like explicitly about like preserving nature and stuff like you you had lots of elements of that uh william morris which we did an episode on um he was very into nature um and apparently marx and angles a little bit too yeah so they weren't just these dumbasses who were like oh, you know <laughs> it's gonna be just fine earth. it's gonna be there forever <laughs> one of the things that he talks about here is that they said that as a necessary condition for communism was improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. And I don't know if there's anything more ecological than that. Like that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about that in our, our food episodes, food and capitalism. You know, we are destroying our soil with our current agricultural methods. And like, they knew that back then too. Of Like, hey, maybe it's bad to have monocultures and to like not rotate your fields like all the normal shit you're supposed to do is getting thrown out the window so i like that just you know straight out the gate he's essentially trying to refute this misguided and i say you know i'd say that like hey if you thought that before that's fine like that's that's fully dead ass how i was coming at it like before no was, yeah yeah you know just like well they could be forgiven you know it's not their fault uh, <laughs> but he also <laughs> talks about this um notion of them not being like because they do get this criticism and i think we brought this up when we first did the re reading of communist manifesto and we were like well they're kind of rude to the country folks saying you know mm, yeah yeah the idiocy of rural society <laughs> i remember that and it's like damn well they don't think very highly of the <laughs> the country pumpkins yeah um but the whole thing was like was not like to be pro-urban and anti-rural, but the way he phrased it, I thought was interesting because th there's this thing in the Communist Manifesto that says uh, the elimination of the differences or the inequalities between the city and, and the countryside. And you're like, okay, well, like everyone's kind of like mixed density, you know, like what does that look like? Uh, the way he phrases it here in the paper is the elimination of both the intellectual degradation of rural society and the physical degradation of urban society. So like you get like the culture and the interaction and everything in the countryside or in what is kind of country ish. And you get like fresh air. The Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fresh air, nature, green spaces, all this in your urban centers. So having like more mixed zone or mixed use spaces in both areas, I think would be great to have. And not to say that every space is going to look alike, like you'll probably still have areas that are a little more urban and a little more rural, but like to have it a little more equal across the board, I guess. So like if no matter where you live, you have access to like a good hospital or a good park. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be great. <laughs> Kropotkin <laughs> also talks about this, I think. Yeah. I think he explored it a little more, which is maybe why I vibed with that more. That's fair. That's fair. One thing that I liked is uh, when talking about Marx and the forces of production, I, I'm not sure if I'm using the right term, so correct me if I'm wrong here, because um, I'm really bad at mixing up all the production terms. <laughs> Do you know why? Because uh, they're confusing? Do you know why they're confusing? Oh, uh, I don't know. 
they were all in German. So, <laughs> so in German, it was all like, <laughs> yeah. So you'll you'll use production with a K, uh, but you'll you'll have whatever just attached to the front of the word. So the oh, marks it looks okay. like a completely different word, mm-hmm. but for us it's like forces of production, means of production, <laughs> mode of production, uh, relations of production. We're like, yeah, ah, how are, you know, <laughs> too much production. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, so. It's the one where it's your labor and your materials and your, I guess, also, like, nature is included in that, too, right? It's it's everything but worker. Just add labor? Just, yeah, what's just add labor? What's that one again? Let me see. I have to bring up my own notes. This is a plug <laughs> for the Patreon. Uh, these notes help your host get through... <laughs> His own episodes, so. <laughs> Think about what they can do for you. Yeah, means of production is what you're looking for. Okay. Just add great. labor. Just add labor. So, from this reading, they're talking about some guys, Jean-Paul Deliage and Ward Churchill, the most French and British names, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they accuse Marx of denying any intrinsic value to nature as a result of his adherence to the labor theory of value, which saw labor power as the sole source of value under capitalism. Mm, So this is an accusation that this is very like anthropocentric as opposed to ecocentric and that he was all about like subordinating nature. Um, When in reality, he was like super against that. Like he, he railed against socialists who only accounted for labor power um, in the creation of wealth and was like, uh, we have a planet. Like, that's also where we get things too. <laughs> yeah. I love this part because again, I, I just, I really like it cause it's correcting me. Is yeah. That, <laughs> you love getting called out. <laughs> kind of like that. That's, that's one of the things that we initially read, uh, uh and, and kind of like, yeah, about like the manifesto, but, uh, Engels socialism, scientific and utopian was, this whole notion of humanity leaving its infancy and, and growing up and everything. It was a little bit of initially we were saying this, like you're like this mastery, this domination of nature. And it's like, great. Now we are the Titans of everything <laughs> and, and we control it. Like, eh, I don't know. We're still clinging to a, a, a ball that's hurtling through the vacuum of space. Like, <laughs> we should take care powerful. of the ball. Uh, <laughs> But what he's referencing here, the critique of the Gotha program. Oh, man, I thought it was Gotha. I don't know what it is. I thought it was Gotha. <laughs> big, big titty go- Gotha program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, government mandated Gotha girlfriend program. <laughs> the, I want to say the Social Democratic Party of Germany. Those guys. Which you got to which which was back then like the Communist Party. Of yeah, Germany, yeah, basically. the good ones. Like They were as, as left as you get. <laughs> They were, I don't know how the communication goes down, but it's kind of like they're asking Marx, like, hey, 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 what, what do you think? think? Like, Take a look at my doing this? spec script. You know, <laughs> we got the idea from you. What do you think? And he's like, you know, and he's like, uh, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The characterization is like, dude, where, where the hell do you think like your nutrients and everything come? Like, how do you, how do you get to go out there and labor? Because like you were born on an earth, like from someone who was getting, you know, nutrients from probably, you know, crops of some sort, mostly. And mm-hmm. that's all coming from the soil. And he kind of adds in here this stuff about like, 
that even in Marx's time and Engels's time, they were writing about like soil depletion and stuff and, and how this was not in a vacuum. It wasn't just like we go and we find soil and it just, it always produces at that level. Like it's a dynamic system that you have to take care of that as one of your, as one of your components in your means of production and everything. For sure. Or else you're going to be stuck, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is a kind of a plug for a future episode slash a series I'm very into right now. We started watching this lecture series on the Black Death. Amazon has like an add-on of just like, just college professors giving lectures. (laughs) And sometimes there's pictures and it's great. And it's called like Great Courses or something. Mm. But yeah, they talk about how like the commons... um, which and they reference the diggers in it too, and I was like, "Yeah, my guys." Um, <laughs> unless well, they said English peasant revolt, and I just assumed I didn't check the year, so <laughs> I'm sure there are other revolts, but it sounded a lot like my guys. Yeah, um, that was I think earlier. Ah, damn it, this different is guys. The guy. Yeah, I don't remember the guy's name exactly, John something, but uh, the peasant revolt leader. They they say, "Hey, come on in, man. Like, talk to us. We're gonna negotiate and figure out this thing." And when he gets there, they say, hey, come over. Like, they they just arrest him, bring him over, behead him, and end the rebellion. <laughs> Love it. Super cool, very chill thing to do. Anyway, but they were talking about the commons and how, like, they, they knew then to fucking rotate crops. Like, they were like, yeah, that's what you do to keep, like, they knew about, like, you have to switch in beans to, like, put nitrogen back. And they probably didn't know it was fucking nitrogen, but they knew to, like, rotate crops. So, like, this is old knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Native Americans growing things like side by side and stuff because they Mm -hmm. give each other nutrients. Exactly. Yeah, and I like how he contrasts Marx and Engels and the the communist view of this, of saying like, hey, your ingredients are important too. Like the earth is important too. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just leave this out. And that they were thinking about this to capitalism's very like limited approach to it. And he says, um, basically they view nature as like a free gift. (laughs) It's fine. Just use as much as you want. Yeah. It's just gonna be there. (laughs) Right. And and Marx and Engels the whole time are like, how, how, how is it going to be? It's (laughs) not just going to keep showing up. Yeah. And then again, goes back to that scientific element of it versus just being an idealist and just saying like, well, it, it's there. God created it. It's the earth and, and it's, you know, we, we have it. They're saying like, well, but like, is it always going to be there? Like, I mean, there's a, it's subject to processes like we are, it's going to change with time. And that's one of the things that I thought stood out in all the readings that we're looking at is the treatment that leftists do in in terms of environment the treatment of the environment as a system and as humans as part of that yeah uh marx apparently called this like a metabolic interaction between like human and nature which is like super dialectical listeners if you need a refresher on that term it means like opposites but they relate (laughs) (laughs) yeah everything being it's think back to you know freshman year when you're talking to the philosophy major or you were the philosophy major <laughs> oh no like, everything's sort of you know interactive man everything kind of you know <laughs> interrelated and all that like pull. that's yeah everything is in relation it's a complicated web of things and that's 
It's the grown-up way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I like, too, how they the, the writer here contrasts it with the environmentalism that kind of does show up in the 70s and 80s in that my my little hated term here, post-materialist way, uh, <laughs> saying, you know, a lot of the blame of environmental issues come down to individual choices, saying, well, mm-hmm. we're, we're being too indulgent and, you know, we need to cut down on things. We need to be sustainable, right? We need to uh, limit what we're doing, but without an evaluation of the overall system. Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote on my notes, ABC, anything but class. Like, they, they refused. I mean, I, I know some of them did. Don't get me wrong. There were sure. some cool-ass people doing that then. But the movement that got co-opted into what the environmental movement is today, and again, that is a mixed bag. I'm painting with a broad brush here. But we're saying the environmentalist movement, like the, the, the mainstream. Mainstream environmentalism, which is to say, like, the ones that were accepted into the society as, whole, as a whole, the culture. Mm-hmm. They refuse to acknowledge class in it. It, it. it is the idea of sustainability never questions the capitalist framework. Yeah, because, I mean, if we're talking sustainability, like Marx was thinking about <laughs> sustainability. Like, we can't do this. <laughs> yeah, he has this excellent quote from Capital, and I'm going to, you know, jump in and be one of those people who quotes Capital without <laughs> having read Capital, and that's fine. That's This is volume fine. three. of people haven't read volume three, no matter if you've slogged through volume one, that's fine. You still haven't, your ass hasn't read volume three, most of you. Yeah, Uh, you could make it up then. (laughs) Mark said, Christine is the best. Yeah, remember that part? That was pretty good. Uh, (laughs) From the standpoint of a higher socioeconomic formation, the private property of individuals in the earth will appear just as absurd as the private property of one man in other men. Even an entire society, a nation, or all simultaneously existing societies taken together are not owners of the earth. They're simply its possessors, its beneficiaries, and have to bequeath it in an improved state to succeeding generations as Bonipatris familias, good heads of the household. I mean, my man got it. He got it in one. Well, I guess he got it in three. It took him three volumes to get there. (laughs) Yeah, but he got it. The earth is for all. Right. This is the Mm -hmm. diggers creed here is that how how even do you own the earth and to be sustainable? It's all about not how can I (laughs) right? How can I wring a profit from this? How can I bleed it just a little and still leave (laughs) enough to bleed later? You know, so everyone's not super mad at me like it's it's how can I make this better or the same as how I found it? So I think that's a good tie together of like, it's, it's a very good intro. Like this was a good intro piece of just like, Hey, to dispel the notions of Marxists are just stupid about the environment, you know, or anything they've built about eco socialism, eco communism is wholly made up and never was there from the first place. They're just like adding that on to be cool now. Like it was there already. Definitely. uh, I I like one quote from this that he kind of, (laughs) I don't know. Marx kind of sounds like an amprim in a little way. He's calling cities polluted by the mephitic and pestilent breath of civilization. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's like my man was already, you know, like this. This was in that current. I mean, there he was a philosopher. Like this was, he was thinking about everything. I mean, the, the dude 
it's not to glorify him. Cause like lots of dudes were just thinking about random shit, you know, and just like, <laughs> Oh, Hey, I thought of this. Like I'm going to write a 10 volume thing on it. That's what you could do back then. Cause you were a white man. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you think about where he was, I mean, he's in fucking industrial England. Like that shit was crazy. Like yeah. people were just like breathing in all kinds of shit. There was like bleach and shit. Like it was just completely unregulated nonsense. It it was it was wailing and the gnashing of teeth. I mean, it, it was it was you were in like the the pit of Moloch, and, <laughs> and it was it was very you know seemingly apocalyptic. Like if you were reading Revelation, you'd be like, "Damn, that's like out there." That's <laughs> yeah. It looks like a, a Satan machine, which sounds pretty cool. And this you know reminds me of how you were saying that William Morris. I remember in our episode, he kind of had this sort of romantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, tie back to more idyllic, more natural uh, sort of times, right? Like a, a more in tune with nature. Yeah, he, he's interesting because I, I think some of these readings, I think, do a good job of calling out people who are like over romanticizing the past. Like, guys, we can't go backwards. Okay, <laughs> we're not yeah. doing that. And William Morris was definitely like, he was very horny for medieval times and wanted to go back there. He would have been very into Ren Fairs. <laughs> but why would he have been? Because he was. He was a class trader, so like if he goes back, he's still good because he was in a good class, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, like the the actual point that we we're talking about is like, yeah, he had the concerns about how heavily industrialized England was becoming, and like, yeah, yeah. So that's a good intro because we we have it from our roots. So like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, well. It's fine. I'm glad we have new stuff now that like gets with the times and stuff. No, nah, man, we had it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We're improving. We're always improving. I mean, that's like part of the goal. But like, yeah, for sure. Don't think you're coming from your new kids on the block or anything. We had it. <laughs> original flavor. All right, let's go next to. I mean, let's read a manifesto since we like our original so much. Let's read a new one. My initial comparative blast here is that. John Bellamy Foster, way better writer. I am H O. Uh, these 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 guys here. Um, Joel Koval and Michael Lowy. Shots fired. It was, it was a little flowery, declarationy for me. It was a little harder to read. I thought we should try it. No, it's it's like good. It has some good points, but I just when you when you say nay, when you interrupt your own <laughs> sentence to say nay, that's when I'm like ah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what an M dash is for. Come on, get an editor. I got around it. It's fine. This was in 2001, <laughs> different style. It's different okay. times. It was a different time. Anyway, this is the Eco Socialist Manifesto, written in uh, 2001 by Joel Covell and Michael Lowy at a workshop on ecology and socialism uh, outside of Paris, which sounds like a rad time to me. Yeah, that would be fun to attend. <laughs> for sure. I don't know. These guys seem like they talk like. A little too fancy for me, but <laughs> but you'd have wine and baguettes, you know. That's true. I could just crunch through it. <laughs> Croissant. Main idea: capitalism sucks. <laughs> that could just be the main idea of the podcast. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Um. Okay. This may just be because I've. I mean, we're we're just finishing up this unit of the American Revolution and stuff, and teaching it or whatever but to me there was parts of this that kind of read as like the part of the declaration of independence where it's like hey king this is all the bullshit the king did 
This is all the bullshit Parliament did. Look at these assholes. He has done mm. this. He has done that. This is he has the call-out post. Yeah, and it's like there's a big part of this where it's like, look at capitalism. Look at all the bullshit it's done. Look at this shit. Yeah, you know, and and it, I, I think it rings true. I mean, it accurately portrays capitalism as this ruthless system that will exploit at all costs as sort of a cancer that has to expand or it will die. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I also liked is the just uncut 2001 flavor of this, the references. <laughs> like, I don't know, There's all this, this terrorism and stuff in it? Yeah, is this a this lot one? of terrorism. Yeah, terror is like eight times in here. <laughs> that man is really worried about terrorism, which like, I get it. But they're, they're saying like, hey, it's not an accident that's happening that is funded by like, corporations and imperialist interests which like yeah for sure and basically saying like that is also related to ecology because like we're fucking fighting over resources yeah yeah that's one of the things that people kind of overlook one of now i think the few things that adam curtis was really quite spot on about in hyper normalization in that documentary that it did a lot of it is actually pretty uh <laughs> sorry I'm watching it's, your it's face. one of those it's one of those movies where you watch it drunk once and you're like damn but like so you good. watch it again yeah <laughs> watching it and you're like wow my man did not bring any materialism to that at all like it's, <laughs> it's very ideal he did but, he did a shoot in the shit but on film <laughs> yeah but he does make a good point that like the conflicts you know a lot of the conflicts in southwest asia in in, in regards syria iraq all this are resource-based mm, yeah yeah hey let's do a vocab word all right uh, globalization. What is it? Globalization is the in, increasing interconnectedness of the global economy or various national economies. Is it good? Is it bad? It sounds like it's bad because it sounds like it's just code for we're going to put capitalism everywhere. Uh, this is one of the classic uh, it's bad when capitalists do it. <laughs> Most things are. It could be cool, I guess, if you globally coordinated your resources. Yeah, you do want that. Now, I guess I would also add the caveat that, because we're going to get into this later in one of these readings, that um, the more your overall system is dependent on globalization for its mm, stability in everyday tasks, the riskier your whole thing is. Yeah, because if you can't, ship something you know if a boat gets stuck in the suez canal <laughs> imagine for a moment if you will yeah <laughs> it can cause a problem <laughs> and so i mean it'd be the same thing running a socialist society would be you'd have those same weak points if you build it up that much but you get that much more in reward so it's like kind of a trade-off ideally you want to have a lot of interconnectedness and stuff like that but the ability to function with most of your, most of the things you need to get by without, you know, without any outside trade. But when capitalists do it, they don't care about, you know, providing for people. That's not their goal. Their goal is just, hey, how much can I rip people off? Mm -hmm. If I can expand global markets, then I can exploit people in different locations and all this. So globalization is just a way for them to fuck people over all over the world now. Great. Yeah, I think the other readings do a better job of enumerating the crimes of capital. So um, we're still including this in the show. Give it a read if you'd like. Um, I think it I think it does a good job of like 10,000 foot view of like 
like you're saying, like it's a good call out post, <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I like how the other readings are a little more specific in, in their examples, I think. Dude, I think this one actually is a pretty good one for a liberal. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because like, I mean, you know, your, your green liberals, they agree with like the condemnations here, but this kind of gives it a direction of like, and it's not go vote blue, no matter who, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not raise money for what is, uh, what for are Beto. The, yeah. Raise money <laughs> for Beto, you know, yes, still raise money for Planned Parenthood or whatever, like, you know, other issue, but like, you know, it's not just raise money for the, the D triple C like, here's what you should be doing at, well, like at, more so than that, here's what's actually the real bad behind it. And it's not just the evil Republicans. It kind of, um, soft channels it because I, I think that one of the appealing uh, quotes and kind of something that even people who are, you know, from my point of view, you know, softer, you know, not, not, not like Marxist Leninist or whatever, but like just more broadly socialist can get behind his Rosa Luxemburg's quote that you, you, it, that, that the choice is socialism or barbarism and saying essentially environmentally, we are in the same place that you are either going to embrace socialism as a way to protect the environment as a way to like stop global climate catastrophe, or you're just going to like suck the earth completely dry of anything in the sky. You know, like capitalism has to be destroyed. You know, I'm very sorry if you want to do nice capitalism or green capitalism or whatever responsible, you know, you can't like, it's going to destroy the planet. Do you want to do that? Or do you want to save it? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think a really good example quote of that in this article is we believe that the present capitalist system cannot regulate much less overcome the crisis it has set going. It cannot solve the ecological crisis because to do so requires setting limits upon accumulation, an unacceptable option for a system predicated upon the rule grow or die. You ask any business person what they want to do. Like, that's what it is. They want to get bigger. And, like, you can't just do that infinitely. There we go. They get into it in this article, too, a little bit later, but it's tying back to this, is the fundamental difference is why you're running the economy. And so, like you're saying, capitalism, why is it running it? To, to, To bring it down to a little nerdier level to say, okay, what are the vocab terms here? exchange value, right? So capitalists are producing for exchange value. You can't get to an eco-capitalism, a green capitalism, because they're governed by that. They have to have profitability. So they have to have an exchange value. Human needs are like, they're cute, (laughs) but they're not (laughs) like, that's an extra. Yeah. They're not why you're doing it. Why do you ruthlessly expand? You know, why do you choke out everything around you like a noxious weed you know why do you go hire death squads in the global south why do you knock over governments wherever you why do you produce all this human misery is because like you have to you are only allowed to care about profit yeah even if you're a nice guy great well you're gonna be a nice guy in the unemployment line when someone else (laughs) comes up and does the job that you weren't willing to do yeah because in a system of you know the cut for competitive system if you don't do it someone else is going to do it and you're fucking out of luck and the whole thing there is 
you have to produce for that exchange value because that's what the system's based on. And what they're saying is the only way out is that we change the values of, we change like the goal, which is instead of exchange values, we're using use value. We're saying we're going to produce things and their worth is going to come from what they're actually used for. A very good example for this that uh, people might not be able to fully understand, but you can get the gist of it is uh, cryptocurrency and NFTs. Uh, let me ask you this. What is the use value? <laughs> Zero negative. Forced. Of any of those things, right? You don't have to fully understand what crypto is. You don't have to fully understand what NFTs are to get that they actually have zero use value. They're, yeah, that's not a practical substance. And I think another like interesting example, uh, like in the other direction, is like you think about really valuable things, like uh, like I was reading about helium. How like this is technically a finite thing, and we like use it for fucking balloons and shit. <laughs> yeah, we puff it up. Dang. <laughs> yeah, we use tell it me, tell me about the use value. Stupid jokes. <laughs> and that's capitalism. Like we we use things for however we. Like we use it to make a buck, not mm -hmm. to help. <laughs> exactly. So while those things have high exchange value, they don't have any use value. Vice versa, a hammer is pretty fucking cheap, but it's pretty fucking useful. And that's what socialism would be aiming to do is produce things for people's needs, produce an education for people increasingly this is viewed as like well why do we need this it's not profitable yep. for anybody blah 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 but like hey man i mean we'll figure that you know we'll figure out that this actually was indeed useful in a couple generations <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know i think that's that's one of the things that this article to me made a really good point of yes definitely so yeah give that one a read if you'd like but we are going to move on to the next one all right the next one by cp usa member chairman at some point i think party secretary or something like that i think he ran for president right yeah he also ran for president a few times his parent like his first language was like finnish or something no he was born in minnesota his parents were finnish immigrants so oh. he was totally eligible great all right this is <laughs> called ecology can we survive under capitalism this was written in 1972 which i think is the reason i like it so much because god damn like <laughs> It hits hard, especially like, you know, given the time, it's just like, damn, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is by Gus Hall, by the way. I just gave that intro to him, but. I don't oh yeah. We didn't name. name who it was. <laughs> you, you know, Hall, the General Finnish Secretary. guy who ran for president. <laughs> yeah. As, as one knows. Uh, this is also able to be found on Marxist.org. So. Yeah. He's, um, he's, I don't know, kind of a candidate for future bio episode at some point. He's got a, I think all these early communist guys have interesting stories, in my opinion, just because of like how much time they end up doing. Like they, they all oh, end up yeah. in jail at some point, and I'm like, damn, that's a hard ass. Like, yeah, for real. Yeah, starting out by naming the bad guys and basically saying, hey guys, environment not doing so great. We need to uh, we need to take a look at what's going on. You know, a lot of people are going to blame this on technology, saying, well, you know, we got to go back to the olden ways and the olden times. But he's saying, no, we need to look at our social system. And he's writing at a time, like you mentioned, uh, the 70s is a hell of a time to be writing this. I mean, he's writing right? at a time when he's saying our nation is being poisoned and everything. The Cuyahoga River running through Cleveland was 
a fire hazard. Like it yeah. was famously sometimes just on fire. That's insane. It was. I mean, like uh, people, you know, like to to kind of marvel at the fact that Nixon. I've never met a Cambodian I didn't want to bomb. <laughs> was the guy who created the EPA, but like. You got to understand where he's coming from. In the 70s, like, you had rivers, rivers were on of fire. flame. Yeah. So, <laughs> People were like, hey, do something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, one thing I thought was interesting here, he's, he kind of tries to reckon with earlier generations of environmental destruction. And he's kind of like, you know, capitalism was being bad at that. I don't know. To me, the characterization of this was like, we cannot do this anymore because we're running out of resources, which I think is part of it. Like talking about how societies kind of just did almost like a like use up everything in one area and move on kind of thing yeah 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 they were just clear cut and just oh boom here we are and it's like i i think it was good of him to like you know acknowledge that as kind of a study of the whole thing it, it kind of pulls a punch to me is that it doesn't really say like that that wholesale stripped you know entire ecosystems of their habitat or like you know indigenous people of their you know it's always focused on i get it but like it just wasn't, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, we used to do that, you know, don't have that anymore. So we can't do that. But like, <laughs> yeah, also we like did genocide, but don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get, that you know, was like he's weird. got a narrow scope. but <laughs> Yeah. When you're quoting Captain John Smith, I'm like, that's a little sus, but okay. <laughs> it's cool. Um, I'm actually going to skip to the second section because I think, you know, intro is just going to intro. <laughs> Intro gonna intro. Go ahead. Okay, great. There ain't no chickens. There ain't no eggs. <laughs> that is how he starts his his second section, which I think does a good job of of illustrating that. Um, one metaphor I like that he also uses is is the train. That's the train of science going down at gathering speed uh, down an unknown track with crazy switches and all that. Um, and saying like, hey, this isn't just like a crazy train. There's also demons driving the crazy train. And like the demons are capital. <laughs> <laughs> this this so, sounds dope. <laughs> it sounds like a sick like album cover for sure. <laughs> just like I the, would like to see the demons just like, ah, like his yeah, tongue is like definitely. 10 feet long. He's got a nasty tongue bl- yeah. flapping in the wind. <laughs> he's got like a pitchfork with like people on it. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> so yeah, um the information on on radiation was also interesting. So that you know, they're obviously at the 70s, big concern about that. There's more nuclear power plants being built and things like that. And um his example is that in 1963 there was a ban on nuclear testing because of the increased radiation levels. Uh, but today, for atomic energy, the federal government allows 20 times as much radiation for the average American as he could have received from the weapons testing fallout before the test ban. Interesting. Is that for like the lifetime or something? I don't know. They didn't, he didn't tell me that. Because <laughs> people got fucked up. From um, just the testing side? From the testing. Fuck, I didn't know that. No, there was... um. It was John Wayne's movie, Genghis Khan, where I want to say that John Wayne somehow played Genghis Khan because it was like the 50s. Yup. Uh, <laughs> That's a thing that happened. That they, people got fucked up from like the sand and stuff out Ugh. there because they, they were filming it basically around that area. Oh my God. And like, you know, 
so many people like died of fucking cancer oh, and stuff like holy that from, shit. from the effects of that. Oh and God. Yeah. So, I mean like it's a real ass thing. So that's why I was like, that has to be over their lifetime or something versus kind of acute exposure because. I mean, it's probably a slow drip, I'd imagine. But then, I, you know, again, how is the federal government going to measure lifetime uh, <laughs> accumulation of what rads or whatever? Uh, uh, OK, so half the things I know about radiation exposure <laughs> is from fallout. fallout. Oh, my yeah. God, I hate you. <laughs> the film was called The Conqueror. Of the 220 film crew members, 91, comprising 41% of the crew, developed cancer during their lifetime. Fuck. While 46, or 21%, died from it. When this was learned, many suspected that filming in Utah and surrounding locations near nuclear test sites was to blame. (laughs) Okay, cool. Cool, cool. So, not great. Oh, the the part about mercury pollution was really interesting because that's definitely still an issue. <laughs> Dude, um, yeah. So, all right. Written in the 70s. I took that and said, okay, I'm going to take this with a, a couple handfuls of salt. And yeah, anytime right? there were like stats and stuff, I was just like, mm-hmm. did you the Google 70s? them too? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I moved right on past them mainly because I had put this reading off. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the reason I put this reading off is because instead I went and read about Gus Hall and his predecessors okay. in, in the Communist Party USA. I was just reading about them. Like the whole You don't time, get so. extra credit for that. I know. I know. <laughs> I, don't get, I get points taken off for not doing the main assignment. But <laughs> that's what um, I did. <laughs> so I didn't do research specifically on Mercury. I did it on some of the other stats. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do know that people are still concerned about Like You'll hear like, hey, like if you eat a lot of seafood, like make sure yeah. you're careful about or that. Or like don't do that when you're pregnant or, and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. I think, I think that's a thing as well. And I don't know. I think that this section does a good job of just showing the, the conflict of interest between the polluters the and the consumers and the, the federal government, basically, because you'll have things like, hey, we found, you know, an, a normal level of mercury is 0.2%. But hey, the FDA is going to say that it's fine if you like have 0.5%. Halfway between it, 0.5 is halfway to death, I guess is the way to put that. So I, that can't be great. <laughs> no, yeah. It's the same thrust as what we just read is that the goals of environmentalists to provide a safe world for everybody, a safe environment, a place where we can all breathe clean air and live in a wholesome world and stuff. Like, that cannot be realized under capitalism because of, like, the, I don't know, the laws, of, the economic laws of physics. Like, how we, how I always go back to, at least, is that there are determinate laws that push people in certain directions that they have to follow or else someone else will come in and follow them instead. You know, individual actors within that system have to follow these laws and that's pursuing profit. Like you may be a nice guy, but you have to pursue profit in this case. Otherwise you're out. And if that means telling people the mercury level, you know, is actually going to be this good. Then, you know, like, that's what you're going to do when if somebody, you know, gives birth to a deformed baby because of it. I mean, that's on you. He talks about thalamide later on. That is horrible shit. Yeah. It really yeah. fucked people over. And they 
knew it. They knew. They, they knew, knew it. So many of these things they fucking knew. And mm-hmm. like the catch-all term they keep coming back to is is taking social and economic factors into consideration, which just means we're going to fucking ignore the science and do whatever the fuck we want. It's what they did with cigarettes, which if you know someone in your family who died of lung cancer because they smoked cigarettes, that that's what happened to them as they were killed by the cigarette company. It's what they did with the op- with opioids. It's what they did with asbestos. Yeah. It's anything, any of those things, they, they did a cost-benefit analysis. So the seatbelts in cars, they did the same thing of like, you know, well, this is, you know, how expensive is it going to be? Leaded gasoline? They knew that was bad for you. They they had an, a cleaner alternative in alcohol, but they were like, uh, this one's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, uh, one of the, how we like to talk about how even if Henry Kissinger dies, he's going to die. <laughs> you know, he went out well. It's fine. He wins. The guy who did the leaded gasoline thing did not win. He ended up in he ended up in like like a hospital bed with like he built this sort of he invented this sort of con, uh, like uh, straps and pulleys and stuff thing that could like help him maneuver and ease, more easily get things. And uh, he died by like basically be, being strangled in that shit. Oh my god! So okay, at least well. he went out. Karma got him. Yeah. That was the leaded <laughs> gasoline guy. Who, oh, my like, God. He was, like, on health vacation for having worked in his plant and, you know, dealt <gasps> and, with all this shit. And then, yeah. like, went out and gave, like, a press conference where he said, no, 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 leaded gasoline is fine. And, like, rubbed his hands all on it. And so, <laughs> I don't know if it's leaded gasoline, but it was something that he was producing there. And he was like, no, it's great. And, like, like rubbed it. He did a his, devil's milkshake. He did a devil's milkshake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to look this guy's name. Uh, look up this guy's name real quick and I'll tell you who yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And what and what he touched? <laughs> what did he touch? His name is Thomas Midgley. Okay, what's his deal? He was an asshole. I mean, yeah, I know that. Leaded gasoline and some of the first chlorofluorocarbon CFCs, the thing, oh, the hairsprays, good. you know. Yeah, all that yeah. Stuff. And wasn't it like in our pans too, like Teflon shit, or is that a different thing? Maybe. I don't know. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's not important. On October 30th, 1924, Midgley participated in a press conference to demonstrate the apparent safety of TEL, which was leaded gasoline, in which he poured it over his hands, placed a bottle of the chemical under his nose, and inhaled the vapor for 60 seconds, declaring that he could do this every day without succumbing to any problems. (laughs) This was after two deaths at his factory, after he had taken like medical leave because he found that his lungs had been affected and it's necessary to drop all work and get a large supply of fresh air. Like, I mean, he was just lying through his fucking teeth. Like oh that's, God. that's what the system does, you know? And then of course they're going to say, Oh yeah. the mercury levels, it's, it's, it's don't worry it's about fine. it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't worry about it. No, they no, have, no. they have stooges willing to huff this shit up on <laughs> camera to tell you, Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I really like about this reading is is how well he ties uh, the environment to. I mean, we were talking about all the the chemicals and the you know the health issues like in the general population, but also to workers. I think he does a great job of pulling testimony from workers, particularly from let's see, people in the oil, chemical, and atomic workers international union. Um, there's several accounts there, 
and it just complete stories of just not not incompetence is the thing. It, it's it's brutal brutal choices being made at their expense. It's like what we saw in Salt of the Earth this night. These guys know how to run a mine, but they also don't care about the workers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything from black lung to scoliosis. They would come in and test meters, um, and the day they would know the test is coming. So the day of the test, they would run machines like at a much lower rate, and so they would pass their tests. Like that's, it's just a total farce of regulation. <laughs> Yeah, which, by the way, that's what they're doing if you're a sports fan. That's what they're doing with human growth hormone in the NFL is, like, you you have to be, like, not be paying attention to fail that. Like, you, they tell you, hey, this, you know, you have this much time. <laughs> they tell you ahead of time. <laughs> but, uh, no, man, uh, it makes me think back to watching the Harlan County. Uh, that was, I, I still think of that sometimes of the scenes of them in in the hospitals and the clinics and stuff and yeah they're just like wheezing you know they're barely hauling themselves to the doctor let alone getting through the treatments and it's just like ah they got chewed up and spit out i mean yeah yeah for sure and i i think this reading and and it might i think maybe the next one does it too it it does i think a good comparison of a system that you know, was not working under the same constraints. So comparing it to Russia at the time. So this guy's talking about um, one of the workers is referencing there's a chemical in the oil refineries uh, where their standard is 225 parts per million and the Russian standard is 25 parts per million. And he's like, I don't know who's right, but hey, I would rather gamble on like, you know, in favor of the workers, (laughs) you know, like that's a big margin of error. And especially when you consider the stakes. Like, are the bosses the one breathing that in every day? No. Right. And the stakes, when you bring it down to materially, what what are the stakes here is literal, like, maybe this guy would have one or two fewer stakes per year if he has to pay the fees for this regulation or what have you to save, like, actual people's lives versus him getting to live it up. You know I mean? Like, you know, it's just so small and they they but they will do that i mean they, they don't care like it's pathological it's not really about costs and benefits and like the the small little measures it's more like a measure of power like will i let them dictate this to me or will i show that i am not to be held in any way if that makes sense like they can't give ground it's like the unionization efforts and stuff it's like even if it's not going to cost you that much you can't give ground to one union because who knows what it leads to one of the things that the the reading also talks about is how often death certificates are just signed as like, mm. I don't know, heart failure, because yeah. they don't want to admit, you know, cause. They don't want to admit that they were the, at fault, and they'll they'll do anything to avoid that. They'll blame it on you. They'll find a way to get out of it, because these things are often very hard to prove, because you're working here every day, and like, if you're working, you know, 20 parts per million, that doesn't sound that much. Um, at, at one point, they say it's it's about... Imagine like a shot of whiskey spread around a nine by 12 living room and you think, oh, that's not very much. But if you drink that all at once, like that's a lot. So like, (laughs) (laughs) as you know, (laughs) and, and it's just, you know, it it is a a very hard thing to prove in terms of, of cause of death. And it's something Mm -hmm. that like, they're going to obviously try to avoid. So they're not held liable for it. And like, 
the medical system also has its issues. So like, they're not going to fucking pursue that. Yeah. And if you're listening and you're thinking, well, I'm not a minor, that sounds shitty, but I'm glad that I don't have to deal with this. Like you do. Yeah. Because it also affects the communities it's around. And increasingly, I think regular jobs do this to people of like, oh, you know, you actually haven't been sitting for too long and have back problems because of us, or you haven't been, you know, they'll, they'll try to find ways to, to include like in their wellness programs and these various things, ways that they are trying to look out for your health and things, but are actually trying to check things off their list to where they're not liable for your legitimate workman's compensation and various other medical claims that they otherwise would have to pay out. You know, they, they make the point that the the owners of these corporations are increasingly getting out of the city and fleeing to more remote areas where they do have clean air. Like they don't have to worry about that. And like the, the places where these workers live are being affected, you know, like they're, they're pumping out chemicals into the air and we're all a part of it. That's one of the things Parenti talked about too, is that a lot, a lot of these rich people you're like, well, you're on the same damn earth. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why are you, <laughs> you're going to go down with the ship. Like, but they're not as soon as we are, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have, they're going to be in Wisconsin. We're already seeing this, right. It's like, you know, Pakistan and India and, uh, you know, low lying areas around the world are getting hammered by climate change before anyone else is. You know, they're, they're content with that. <laughs> yeah, we are already seeing it happen. And and my man Gus Hall was already talking about that in the 70s. Yep. Let's see. Oh, hearing loss. That's another huge one. And that's one we had personal experience with. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our dad. And he had to go through batteries of tests. And they made him go through the ringer twice, three times again to prove that that's what it was. Because, oh, you know, that could happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe you're just getting older. It's like, no, dude, he, he's been working there a long fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In like an industrial sort of, you know, very loud environment is what it was. Yes. Yes. Oh, I all, I think it's interesting, too. Some of the testimonies talk about how, and we saw this in Salt of the Earth, too, of, of how, again, the companies will do everything to try to blame the worker and say, well, you know, obviously you guys aren't following the rules and regulations and, you know, putting it back on them when it comes to safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you guys make the rules and the rules do not make sense. <laughs> it's also like they have an entire team of lawyers dedicated to finding out <laughs> how they didn't break the rules and how you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, what I really love about this kind of chunk of the writing here is that you can tell that Gus Hall is like an organizer because he's like talking in this way that's relating to the, you know, I mean, as he would say, like to the masses, I mean, to the people and he's doing it in his relatable way. He's not talking about the labor theory of value. He's not talking about like the, you know, exchange rate or he's, he's you know, he never interrupts himself by saying nay, like he's <laughs> down on earth with them and, and saying like, hey, it's, it's like how we would have a conversation with somebody, right? It's like, hey, man, like, you know, what are things like at your work? Like, here's here's what people are going through. You know, I heard this, I heard, you know, I mean, he's organizing. Definitely. Like I, I this is probably my favorite section of all the readings. Like if you want to. <laughs> If you want to get mad, but also just, just, I mean, read these, these testimonies. They're, they're really powerful. I really Mm -hmm. recommend them. The next section I 
think is also pretty fire uh talking about chemical warfare is this kill every living thing (laughs) yeah uh we're talking about chemical warfare particularly in vietnam a very prescient matter for at the time of this article's writing yeah uh i mean he's writing what you said 1972 yeah so that's shortly after the the my lai massacre i mean there's nothing you know more brutal than that the thing with the my lai massacre that you got to keep in mind is this is the one that came to the conscious mind of the american public but how many my lies were there besides it yes and you know if for some reason you are not able to empathize with that horrific destruction of not only people but like the just the blighting of the earth too like just at just deaths for generations birth defects as well this stuff comes home it's used in weed killers and actually got the the ke- chemical was blown into the wind uh, into a flock of sheep and goats and uh, 60% of their offspring were dead or deformed and the rest died <laughs> so like this shit doesn't just stay you know in warfare zones like we have stockpiles of chemical weapons and like they can talk all the fuck they want about we're totally getting i don't believe that for a goddamn second yeah no it's it's ridiculous and i mean that's you know and and gus all the organizer would would kind of reach out to people and say like this is how it tangibly affects you but i mean you know there's not a way to get around the huge cost of of the direct brutality of just you know shooting people and everything and millions millions of people killed and brutalized in that way you were talking about the environment to to focus on that agent orange like a defoliant uh nearly twelve thousand square miles of forests just destroyed in vietnam um like you said for generations had and have birth defects uh, from exposure to that. Yeah, he, he rightly compares that to, you know, the atomic bomb. He compares it to, you know, death camps of Hitler. Like, it's fucking, it's pure evil. Yeah, and it's it's architect breathes, lives and breathes like now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude is doing fine. He he, he won. That's, that's the guy, Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in these sections including that one here he's he's saying that this is essentially an extension of the the brutal profit first nature of capitalism right he's saying it doesn't matter you know you and i regular people will cringe at it and say how could how who could be this inhuman well capitalism can you know it's it's all about profit um I, I like this quote, um, what is important, profit for a few already rich or an environment in which life on the, the planet can continue? Like, we have to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. At, at some point he says, will it be capitalism or survival? And capitalism is like fucking playing hardball. I mean, over and over again, we've talked about this on the show as well, is, you know, if you complain about a corporation, they'll say, well, we'll just leave and you won't have any jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aren't you lucky to have us? Let's talk about General Motors. <laughs> well, friend, friends of the show. Yeah. Oh, and along with our good friends Ford and Chrysler. Everyone loves them. <laughs> uh, so he's talking about how for a while they were like, "Yeah, the smog in LA is just that's just normal. Don't worry about it." And uh, <laughs> and once they got caught in a lie on that, they were like, "Well, it's not like technologically feasible to 
we can't do it. We can't get rid of the pollution from cars. Um, and then they <laughs> they found out uh, that they were just lying. They they had the ability to do that like for a while now. Whoa, they're lying <laughs> to make money. Weird. It's like the incentive is there for them to do that. The, you know, the logical next step is well, okay. So what if we change those incentives? What if we make it to where, you know, it's not in your best interest because of government regulations to lie and, you know, you, you can't evade regula you know, you, you have to play by the rules, so to speak. Well, okay, who's making the rules? People who are easily bought off by and who already share the class interests key because, like, it's cheaper to buy them off, who already follow the class interests of the capitalist class like the government is run the by same. yeah it's run by the bourgeoisie it's, it's the run same by person. the capitalists <laughs> and even when they do get quote-unquote caught they're levied these joke ass fines of like fifty dollars <laughs> and like and like they're uh, an executive of reynolds metals is quoted as saying it's cheaper to pay claims than it is to control fluorides <laughs> So just like it's cool if some people die, I can just pay it off. That's that's fine. Yeah. And the fines are a joke. Texaco got fined for polluting the New York Harbor seven hundred and fifty dollars. Now this is in the seventies, so that's a little more, but it's still a joke ass number. Inflation calculator, my favorite your, your site. Your homepage. Yep. <laughs> Damn, five thousand three hundred and fourteen dollars. I don't know if Texaco can like poke through the couch cushions for all that <laughs> yeah man one guy had to pay oh. for his own steak dinner <laughs> oh no he did like the you know monopoly man turning his pockets inside out yeah thing oh, afterward. <laughs> some flies came out yeah <laughs> oh. and like you said like when you know when corporations and government are so in bed together they'll they'll put on these these boards these these anti-pollution kind of methods and guess who's on the board of all of those things who who could possibly <laughs> the fucking companies and they yeah. do it because supposedly you know well we're experts so we fucking mm -hmm. know no they oh, do yeah. it so they can set the goddamn rules for themselves it is called regulatory capture even mm. regular ass motherfucking liberal ass capitalists will talk about <laughs> regulatory capture and that is where Asshole number one goes <laughs> to work for the SEC. He goes to work for whatever federal regulatory thing, whatever, you know, the FDA. And he does his thing and he does his thing and he's fair and upstanding. And then he retires. And the very next day, my man goes revolving door to work for a lobbyist group or to work <laughs> for one of the industries that he was regulating. And that's how you know these guys have it. Hook, line, and sinker. Anti-pollution boards uh, out of the 50 states that they're in at the time of this article in the 70s, at least 35 boards were dominated by representatives of the corporations who are the main polluters. <laughs> this is one of the things Parenti <laughs> talked about in Black Shirts and Reds was like, look at the board of directors, look at the heads of political parties, look at all this like intertwining. It makes you sound like you got a tinfoil hat on, but like they're this literally the same people. <laughs> It is the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> you might, people might look at you like you're crazy, but they're actually the same people. 
And and they he tells the story of like, okay, what if you get a good guy in there? You know, let's sure, fucking pretend. <laughs> uh, he gives the story of John Burns, an assistant district attorney attorney in New York. Um, and in 1970, he went after GM for polluting the Hudson River. He was doing a very good job. Because he was doing a good job, he was summarily fired by the U.S. Attorney General. <laughs> well, John Burns got off easy. Sometimes people get really into killing themselves and like shoot themselves like five times in the head yeah that's you know? uh how does that work it's crazy uh scientists getting fired from reports the burying of studies like we will find a way to cover that shit up uh, you know but like let's plead to the government the government will help us is what the next section talks about it's mm, like, yeah government save me yeah <laughs> Like, actually, regulatory capture, they're not going to. Would you like an Earth Day? That's Because that's all about I can do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Nixon, how we've, we've talked about this before, right? How he was like, oh, man, what a silly creature man is for dirtying his own nest. <laughs> well, I also like the characterization of the Nixon administration as, like, kind of freaked out by the youth movement Mm -hmm. like they're like oh we'll lean into the environmental thing that'll make us cool and the (laughs) youth were like they figured out like hey we can like pick up the beach or whatever but also like let's go after the source and he's like oh wait don't do that don't do that (laughs) yeah because they correctly intuit right like i'm picking up fucking the little plastic things to hold six six packs together how many of those is you know ford and gm like what's the equivalent that they're doing you know like what what are and you know that's not to say like yeah cleaning shit up great go do it that's awesome go yeah and that's what he says whatever. too it's like yes do that but go after the source yeah the the real the real uh payoff is not from the small thing like we've said before like live it you know like mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've got to do that sure to be a real communist like live your actual Mm, convictions but you also are are just kind of small fry i mean we're all small fry we're not small fry together but we're all small fry on our own so we talked about a similar phrase earlier but you know when when you hear people say oh well we've got the epa and oh we've, you know thank god for nixon which i don't hear that phrase a lot but if i do uh i will be saying these seven little words that pretty much just take the piss out of any sort of environmental regulation you can come up with which are (laughs) taking into account the practicability of compliance oh okay so you can just say i can't do it and it's fine (laughs) this would be like if i was like hey you got to do you know uh, i gave you time yeah i gave you time in class to work on this but you didn't finish it get it done for homework is due tomorrow if you don't have anything else to do if you're not busy <laughs> if like there's nothing else on your plate man i'm talking you know you don't you don't have to scroll tiktok for a few hours <laughs> you got nothing else going do this it's no new episodes of game of thrones yeah i yeah, don't think sure. they're watching game of thrones <laughs> yeah i don't know what the young people watch i'm sorry <laughs> euphoria no i think euphoria is for old people who want to see what young people do but yeah it's just okay sure you know, the same guy from before who was like, yeah, we're not going to do that stuff because it costs us money. Uh, it's Nixon is basically be... like, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> not okay. practical to comply to this. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Here he really lays into 
the clear reason, right? And he's saying, you know, I've given you all these examples. You've seen the bad actors doing bad. You've seen people repeatedly trying to like find a way to like, Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we do that? Like, Hey, can you stop killing us in Mercury? Hey, can you stop killing with fossil fuel cars? (laughs) And all the while the corporations, the government, Everyone is turning them back and saying, no, 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 no. We've got to do this. We've got to have, you know, our gross national product. We've got to have these lenient rules so that the corporations will give you jobs so you can survive and whatever, right? He's like, why is this happening? And it's, again, the fundamental rules, right? And he says basically here that it does not make sense on the whole it doesn't make sense on the whole for this to be happening because it's anarchic. It it's everyone's doing things for themselves. Like it's it harkens back to angles. Every corporation is motivated only by how it can squeeze out the maximum profits. They accept no social responsibilities, human or environmental science and production and technology have now reached a level where such problems as the environment cannot be left at the mercy of individual corporations who have no social consciousness. In the final sense, the present level of human activity produces problems that can be resolved only by a social structure that can plan and guide the activity so that benefits go to all people. It, it, is, it is a system that is inherently tied to, to death, basically. Like, it, it does not give a fuck. I, I like this line, one can judge a social system by its history. So if you think capitalism is all of a sudden going to turn nice and start giving a shit, like, when has it ever done that? Yeah, it's it's constantly blood for the blood god. I mean, it's, it's, it's constantly killing to attain its goals. I think in, in this section, too, he does a good job of, of, you know, being a little intersectional here and talking about how, you know, it's it's not just the environment we're talking about here. Like this, this is related to fascism. This is related to racism. Yeah, because who is this falling on? Right. And like he, he says, like, where, where, where is this most acute? Yeah. And he, he gives the infant mortality rate for for black babies. And it's out of a thousand live births. 111.1 babies die 15 times greater. That was just, I mean, these guys were not even a generation removed from the great civil rights act of 1964. I mean, like, come on, like this, this was the olden times in modern times. Things have to be much better. In the United States of America, we've had a black president. We can't possibly have these sorts of inequalities still, right? Oh, no. I mean, guess what? We still do, because today it's still like three times as deadly to, like, have a black baby. Yeah. Still knocking out of the park, sadly. And this is looking at an industrialized... I mean, this is an imperial core country that that is supposed to be giving boons to its people by hyper-exploiting the rest of the world. It's supposed to be the the greatest place to live, and yeah. it can be for some people. <laughs> yeah. So if it's doing this on the backs of so many people that it is keeping in literal slavery, we talked about that UN report, like actual full-on slavery. This is whose backs this is built on. Like, what are the conditions there? You know, like, 
uh, what racism is, is wrought upon them and, and how much worse are conditions for them. It's got to be even, <laughs> I mean, like no, it's, environmental it's and social conditions have got to be even worse for them. All right. We've talked a lot of shit here today. What can we do? Let's look at socialism, y'all. It's the way out. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Like, we talked about this in Parenti. We talk about this, I mean, almost all the time. It's when you change the goal of a of a system. The goal is not profit anymore. The goal is fulfilling human needs. That's a radically different system. It's huge. And, you know, and, and Parenti talked about, like, you know, here are some of the shortcomings and things that can happen from that. And that is, I think... Fine. I would much rather be dealing with those. Oh, for sure. Right. Than dealing <laughs> with a monster that is trying to consume the very cage that is like the, the, the whole world and everything about it. Like all of us, it's trying to consume the ship that we're all on. Like it's just trying to kill all of us. I'd much <laughs> rather deal with the the minor problems of like, how can we make this help us more efficiently? <laughs> And something that's trying to kill us. And, you know, we mentioned this at the top of the show, for all the popular conceit of of socialist nations like the USSR not caring about the environment, they fucking did. Like, they had a really strict conservation law. They completely revitalized Lake Baikal, which is like the largest freshwater lake, also home to the only species of freshwater seal. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Check it out. (laughs) I like seals. Anyway, um, like, they gave a shit they had these huge nature preserves that lenin himself was involved in creating though the guy that set those up came to lenin and was like hey can i do this and he's like yeah dude for sure like <laughs> <laughs> and like they they had this huge system of i mean essentially national parks and but actually kind of cool they were like pure reserves and like the scientists used those as basically living labs that they could like observe nature in mm, fucking cool that is dope Let's see, since 1948 to 1972, the air in Moscow was 83% cleaner. That's probably better than lots of American <laughs> cities in that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it's not to say that like the Soviet Union never did anything environmentally bad. You know, they did. I, I think essentially fall away from that in terms of, hey... We're fighting a civil war and half the world is invading us. Hey, uh, this guy over here is saying that he wants to like starve us all to death and take over that land for his own people. You know, we might want to prepare for that. Uh, like <laughs> there, there's, there's a lot of things on their radar that they're like, that, that, that they seem to kind of prioritize the short term or long term. And some of those environmental goals get away from them. I, I think they do, but I, I, I am impressed with the level of not only at the top level of, of you know, these these projects, the social consciousness, too. Uh, the, the example of Lake Baikal, I thought, was particularly powerful. They, you know, the government was like, we're going to build a, a like a wood pulp factory or whatever, some sort of factory. A paper. Yeah, they were making paper. That's it. <laughs> That makes more sense. On Baikal's shores, right? And they were going to discharge that basically straight in the lake. Yes. The people got full on pissed and like flooded them with letters and were like, hey, fuck this. We don't want this. And they like, they responded. They were like, okay, yeah, let's give it full, you know, waste treatment devices. 
Um, let's set regulations on not raising the water temperature. Um, like they they responded in turn to a, a mass public consciousness. Yeah, and <laughs> have a mass public con- consciousness. That too, like yeah, impressive. But like, even if we have that, if we do that, and we say, "Hey, don't, please don't, please, please, please. don't offshore drill here," you know, and we band <laughs> together and we say, "Don't." build this pipeline and don't fuck us up in these ways. What do they do? They try us as terrorists. What do they do? They haul us off and they, and they throw us in jail and they, and they throw the book at us. And I mean like, you know, that's our, that's our country and our country likes to turn self-righteously and say, Oh, well look at Putin's Russia and this is what they're doing. They're throwing people in jail and whatever. And it's bad, but like, it's also what we're doing. We can't claim that we don't do that. It's not what we, <laughs> what we would see, you know, it's not, how they responded to their popular response when it was the Soviet Union. When it's this right-wing asshole, yeah, that's how they respond. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, because he sucks. It sucks. But yeah. when it was the Soviet Union, it was a completely different thing. As soon as they figured out DDT had bad effects, they're like, oh, we're banning that. We're not doing that. And you know why they were able to do that? They didn't have corporations to fucking lobby against it. It was people saying, yeah, please ban the dangerous substance. Yeah. There are just <laughs> fewer steps in between. All right, last section here. Toward a solution. Fix it for me. <laughs> Fix uh, it. Uh, I, I liked how he has structured this whole, you know, piece, right? So he's he's kind of boiling it down to it at this ending point, saying, like, socialism is the way out. And he, he lays it plain to him and, and says, look, the way we will do things is if something doesn't serve the common good, we're not going to do it. So like a clean environment, that serves the common good. We're going to do that. A bad environment doesn't serve the common So we're not going to do that. You know, it's like it's, it's a clean and clear cut. And he's like socialist countries, real ass socialist countries like like you were mentioning the Soviet Union do this. You know, they have clear laws. You had uh, the you had East Germany, the GDR doing that, Poland, Czechoslovakia. And it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? Like, what, what's, what's our, what can we do? What is, what is our solution? And I like that he gives like kind of mm, sort of short-term goals here. He's like, this is what would, not what would work, like what's sufficient, but what we should be pushing for. Yeah, yeah. So his goals being like, we need to get rid of that fucking loophole and all the federal laws demanding a fucking seat at the table for for the people basically saying like we well, no, we need to we need to be the enforcers here enforcers we need to be controlling the environment yeah the people having a popular a literal popular check on like the government instead of just well you get to go vote every four years <laughs> for the people that we decide that you can vote for mm-hmm. you know I, he talks about nationalizing industry he talks about guarantee that the cost of all anti-pollution measures come from profits. That's something the next reading touches on a lot is like when these corporations do this, they don't, they don't cut out of their profits. They put the price back on the consumer. Yeah. I like that the big thrust of this is the power of environmental control must be with the people. It's yes. It's all power to Soviets. It's all power to the people. (laughs) It's that. that's, That's what he's talking about. I mean, short of that, we're left with technocratic solutions that can really, as this article, as the previous ones have shown, like they can be circumvented pretty easily. 
for sure. All right, we're going to move on to our next reading. Uh, Why Green is Red, Marxism and the Threat to the Environment by Paul McGar. So this obviously is going to talk about a lot of the same themes and, and posits very similar ideas about, you know, hey, we know who the bad guy is and we know what to do to fix it. Um, but it gives two very specific examples to highlight that theme uh, being global warming and also GMOs. We're not going to get too deep into GMOs because I think we did a decent job of covering the issues there in our food and capitalism issue or issue episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're now a cool indie magazine. Yeah, that was our uh, easy <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, put it in your ears, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll just kind of talk more about the other example and just kind of the larger themes of the article. Again, available on Marxist.org. One of the things I thought was in, was he did a good job of pointing out, which to me is like well-trodden territory by this point, but maybe was a little more mm, salient in the year 2000 when this was published. Uh, mm-hmm. was was that dissenting climate science please don't be bought off by that because it's just it is wholly paid for by like the fossil fuel industries and their adherents yes yes uh there is a section in this uh about the fossil fuel corporations and just how fucking hard they fought all of this general motors Standard Oil, Firestone Tire Company, they all just like, they, they, one example they give is they, they took over the Pacific City Lines, which is like the rail system in LA, and they just like took it apart. Yeah, <laughs> listeners, if that sounds familiar, that's the plot of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it, which itself was based off the movie Chinatown. Um, oh yeah, I watched Chinatown. That was good. That that that's what they're talking about. Is, <laughs> and in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is literally the Pacific, whatever the Pacific City Lines. Like they just use. Wow. They're just like that's it. And it's the same thing. Is that 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 these companies are doing this scheme to buy up the public transit and like rip it up and everything. It's that. That's insane. Oh my god. I had no I have I don't know if I've actually seen Roger Rabbit. I probably have, but I'm not sure. That's okay. It was a recent actual watch for me. It was one of those like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm watching it, duh. But duh, but then you didn't. <laughs> uh-huh. No. So that was uh GM Standard Oil, Firestone. Uh those guys actually got convicted of that. <laughs> I love the fines. I love the fines. So they GM. had to pay like yeah, GM had to pay Five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars in nineteen forty nine. Five thousand dollars. This is why you guys tune in to find out what different amounts <laughs> of money were worth. GM, GM, General Motors, sixty two thousand dollars. <laughs> That's nothing. Uh, oh, don't forget they find uh, the treasurer. Oh, the treasurer. I mean, this guy. He was. <laughs> Really, He's really hard. Down his luck. He had to go to the bread lines for a long time after having paid paid his fine. A single dollar. One dollar. <laughs> like what? That's a literal joke. Like I've been calling these <laughs> fines jokes, but that one's like this will be crazy, actual guys. joke. Yeah. Crazy. <sighs> yeah, and and I, I like how I mean shout out, but in a bad way <laughs> of um, the liberalization of of Eastern Europe, where that was happening too. We talked about it in our GDR episode of of every public service being bought up and destroyed yeah and i think it's interesting that this was 
you know, this is to ostensibly to sell more cars and stuff directly. Mm-hmm. But they make this, they, they direct it in this term of a car society, which I found interesting. That's a term you hear a lot in the States is that we're car culture and like, oh, public transportation wouldn't work because we're car culture. Yeah, but that's deliberately built, right? <laughs> yeah, why are we a car culture? Fucking think about it for two seconds. Like we're just obsessed with cars. Like ever since people came over here, we were building idols to cars and, <laughs> you know, the Native Americans had, had all had like car totems and stuff. Like, come on. <laughs> why? Uh, but... In terms of our economy, you can actually see it's like broad grasp in the oil industry, obviously. Gasoline is kind of a byproduct of that, but petrochemicals like plastics, huge. Cars, duh. Uh, but so much of our service industry is geared toward like fast food and drive through or delivery. Right. So much of our infrastructure is built not on rail, but on truck freight transport. Yeah, definitely. And on a maybe not sinister level, but on a, you know, results level, it atomizes us even more. You're talking about funding anti-climate studies or anti-climate change studies. Uh, Our good friends Shell, Texaco and Ford in 1989 uh, spent $13 million before the Kyoto Conference on advertising and $50 million to Democratic and Republican parties, they're the same guys, hmm. uh, to, to help get the White House in order to, uh, you know, not do the Kyoto Conference, which was an effort to basically, like, set some regulations, which the regulations ended up being, like, not very... <laughs> Yeah. Not very sharp toothed anyway, but we couldn't even do that. That's the thing. When people were bitching about, oh, we're going to have to do the Paris Climate Accords and all this is like, my man, that is woefully short. Yeah. They, yeah, they talked about uh, the Kyoto ones and I think some other ones, too, of like the way they got their numbers was like really fucked up. Let me see if I can find it because it was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. So the U.S. agreed to a 7% cut below 1990 emissions levels by the years 2008 to 2012. I'm going to bet we didn't meet that. Uh, But (laughs) the government itself helpfully pointed out, quote, the 7% target represents at most a 3% real reduction. (laughs) The remaining 4 percentage points result from certain changes uh, in the way gases and sinks are calculated and do not reflect any increase in effort. Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like, I'm not actually going to do that. <sighs> oh, and then it also talks about, like, the big shift of blame onto China and India and, like, developing nations are like, oh, I'm not going to cut back if they're not going to. And it's like, yeah. you're fucking racist and shitty. Well, exactly like we said, yeah. And and it goes down to what are the goals, right? And yep, yep. we have to be competitive versus we can't you know, be out-competed, that sort of thing. One thing I loved about uh, this article, they talk about these fossil fuel companies and their related aspects. Basically pretending to be green. Oh my God, the example he gave was BP. That was delicious. Which, like, I don't know what BP looked like before the green logo. I don't either. I can only remember the, the green logo. I mean, oh, it used to be like, 
Just a shield with BP in it is pretty bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. The modern one is kind of good. It's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's the only one we know. It's like, oh, beyond petroleum. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's us. We're cool. We're beyond petroleum. <laughs> oh, it's like a bad soccer logo. It's pretty bad. That's not good. Okay. Um, don't Don't be that. but again you know even even though they're pretending to be green their goal in that and they expressly say so is just to maximize profit even one of the executives was like this is all about increasing sales increasing margins and reducing costs (laughs) no i love the fact that they spent more money on the (laughs) rebrand than they actually do on any sort of environmental shit classic Mwah, chef kiss. Ugh, beautiful, delicious. Goes down smooth. <laughs> I like this discussion that kind of says that it's really mm, short-sighted. It's ineffective. It's not going to do the job, basically, to think within a capitalist framework. Right? So it essentially says, because you're, I mean, because you guys that are listening, you're going to talk to people like this, right? That are talking about how, oh, this you know, we could just make this change. We can make this change, whatever small little things nibbling around the edges. Yeah. Emissions trading, you know, greenwashing, all that shit. That's like, maybe we can make it, you know, profitable. It's not up to the challenge. All right. Again, let's get solutions and they're going to sound pretty similar. (laughs) Guess what the problem is guys is profit. So, uh, we should get rid of that. Uh, But if we're saying, okay, before we do that, what are some things we can do in the meantime? Expand public transport. Yeah, that's a fucking, that'd be a good one, right? (laughs) I would like that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. I don't even like driving. Driving's bullshit. I mean, anyone who's played City Skylines knows public transport, very important. (laughs) Oh, I like this line too. We talked about in the previous work about how companies always threaten to leave and like they'll take their jobs with them and let me let me i'll just read the quote the idea that if workers accepted lower living standards and wages the the big corporations would then use the extra money in their pockets to deal with climate change is a poor joke they would simply give their executives and shareholders bigger payouts and continue to behave exactly as now get this guy a job on the council of economic advisors i mean like the president needs someone on his team who's going to be like hey sorry i just I just don't like to see people get ripped off. If you give them money, you know they're just going to like put it away, right? <laughs> like, they, yeah. They just seem, they just, uh, they're just such Charlie Brown. Well, they're not. That's the sad well, thing. So we see them as Charlie Brown's kicking the football when Lucy's mm-hmm. pulling the ball up, but like, they're actually pretending to be that when they are on the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh. they just, they come out there, and, and for us, it's just like, oh, golly gee, damn, we got tricked again. But like, <laughs> We should know if we're Marxist, we should know they're on the same team. It's high Papa Lowrum and low Papa Hiram. <laughs> and even if you say, okay, you know, and then this was a big argument, you know, with coal country and, and all these kinds of industries, like you can't just get rid of it. People work there. Guess what they can do? Go work on our new fucking awesome public transit system. <laughs> There's so many things. And, and with the money freed up, From, I mean, think about this. The money just freed up from, like, having to clean up the environmental degradation (laughs) that this shit 
does, right? Like, I no longer have to spend on cleaning up you pissing in our collective <laughs> living room. Now I can send you to go do this pleasant job. Like, there's there's just so much more you can do. Get rid of that, you know, $100 billion marketing budget for your fucking cool logo. Dude, that's another thing. And and, and this is a part of what they cover in this paragraph. This is a quote that I really love here. In a sustainable world, much of the absurd waste under capitalism <laughs> on arms, advertising, the gambling yes. of the banks and finance institutions and much else would be eliminated. Yes. Classic. That's a classic Kropotkin, classic Marx. Like, yeah, classic there's a lot of shit we do. Communism. <laughs> We're always talking about the jobs that <laughs> would just not be Abolish my job. There. Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of it. Like so many people and, and like it's not bad for them, really. It's like fulfilling to not have to go in and say, how can I sell toilet paper today? Yeah. Uh, no one likes that. If they say they do, they're lying. <laughs> Trust me. I've worked in advertising and design for like... 10 years now. <laughs> oh, yeah. How can I, you know, best make this corporate pitch? No one. If they do. No one wants too, to do it. They're too far gone. Like, they, they need re-education. <laughs> I don't know. They need something that is just <laughs> going to, like, revive the human within them. Because <laughs> that's not it. Uh, no, no. There's better things to do with your life. Trust me. This would free up resources that could be used for more useful purposes in an environmentally sustainable fashion. A sane yeah. society would also end the madness of millions of people traveling vast distances simply to get to work each day. Work should be put where people want to live. Let me live in a neighborhood that functions and has its own food and like its own transport to other neighborhoods and its own doctors and everything I need in one place. You walk downstairs, two flights of stairs, it's kind of hard. Or you take the elevator and you walk or you take a moving sidewalk one block to your grocery store. That's the future we're fighting for. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> keep that in mind is that walkable you are, errands. You are one block away from the grocery store. You are two blocks away from the doctor. You are a lunch break away from the dentist. And your lunch break isn't a soul crushing job and fucking bullshit. It's a job that helps people. It's a yeah, it's a job that is not yeah, it's not it's not on a treadmill in any sort of way. It's it's actually improving things it, there's a reason they call us utopian because this sounds <laughs> utopian but it doesn't have to be you know we can do it guys and with modern communications and free fast public transport there is no reason why the absurd and alienating distinction between giant cities and rural areas could not be radically transformed too so a uh, one section that i thought was interesting it's kind of later called humanity and the environment um he gives examples of of societies that kind of degraded their environment and how closely linked that is to societal collapse so i have actually <laughs> this is what we got i've had the wikipedia page of societal collapse open for a while which has not been great life? for my mental state how's your life dude <laughs> the sad thing Jesus. is that this is preparation for this episode not the first time that i've had this <laughs> It was a purple link. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we know you. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he gives the example of, like, soil erosion in, uh, like, the Eastern Easter Island culture. Uh, Mediterranean Basin, kind of the same thing. 
chopping wood. At one point, Rome is importing wood from other places. <laughs> like these are these are marked patterns in civilizations where people are destroying their environments and facing death. One of the things we like to humor ourselves with is the fallacy that we're the first people to have done whatever. And we're not. The importance of learning history is we have fancier things. You know? I mean, like, we're doing it in a cooler way. (laughs) But (laughs) we're doing the same fucking shit. We are. (laughs) Just on a, a larger, more cataclysmic scale. But I imagine to those societies, that felt like the end of the world, too. Well, and because there's localized situation right and he's they talk about like the mayans their hierarchy their their people in power basically just doing the same thing up until the end like up until it's you know far too late and not realizing that they've or not caring that they've driven their whole society into extinction but they i mean there's broader than just single civilizations collapsing uh, one of good examples the bronze age collapse at the late bronze age it's pretty rapid between bce 1200 and 1150 we're talking 50 year span uh the like mediterranean area all those civilizations basically collapse why that uh, <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> historical mysteries is like kind of why okay um you, so so you have um, Egypt, Eastern Libya, the Balkans, the Aegean, the Anatolia, like modern day Turkey, the Caucasus, all of Not that. a hot place. Boom. So you have like ruins and stuff of like, here's where they were, blam. They get flattened. And there's like theories or whatever. A lot of them kind of are environmental. Volcanoes, droughts, pandemics. Probably some sort of mixture thereof, in addition to just like the tumultuous, you know, whatever else could happen. But like that can very well just take out a huge chunk of civilization. There's also something called the 4.2 kilo year event. Whoa, what's that? So this started, this is before that. We're just going down this tab now. Yeah, starts around (laughs) 2200 BCE. It's essentially the entire 22nd century BCE where you have uh, probably a drought that uh, collapses lots of civilizations around. I'll show, I'll, I'm going to show you a map <laughs> of this. <It's, laughs> show me It's map. going to maybe flash back you to like, you know, sixth grade or ninth grade, like geography or something. Oh, hell yeah. Of like... Oh, damn. All right. All the civilizations, basically. All the cradles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know all those. Little Tigris Euphrates action over here. They all died? Indus Valley. Um, yeah. Basically, anyone who was, like, sprouting the, the, the early uh, Yangtze River civilization in China. All <gasps> this. Boom. All all the first half of the world history chapters? All of them. Four particular year <laughs> events. No. <laughs> Or their predecessors. Some of them are not quite there yet. So their predecessors, like the Akkadian Empire and Mesopotamia. And it makes you feel crazy because you're like, what? Why are you like, how has this already happened? And people are just like, well, nothing's going to come wipe us out. Right? <laughs> it's uh, like, it already has happened. It'll happen again. Mo- way more modern than that. It's called the General Crisis. 
okay. the general crisis of the 17th century. We're talking the 1600s. I mean, people can That's fucking... very recent. They can write, writing. Yeah, they can write stuff down. Like, we know this. <laughs> uh, this was probably instigated by something called the Little Ice Age, uh, which has several different descriptions of why it may have happened, but this is like an <laughs> intense period of cold, which is probably volcanic-based and, uh, and mm. also kind of confluence with like sunspots and sun radiations and shit like that, which is a surprising influence on us. But, um, <laughs> w- but with that, and this is, I think when you have the year without a summer where you just have like, uh, you, you just have like a cold ass fucking summer and like, you know, intense. Fuck. And, and there was a painter, I don't know if you've ever seen this in art history or whatever, but people who, painted uh sunsets that were particularly vivid and things like that because they were seeing them during this time of the year without a summer and it was like apparently doing something with the atmosphere interesting okay uh but the general crisis this is when you see like the english civil wars uh (laughs) like huge upheavals and it does generally seem to just be climate based and like it just reminds you again that you're clinging to a rock that's hurtling through space that occasionally is just like farting and fucking <laughs> up the atmosphere that you're breathing in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Back to the black death series. One of the theories, it's one of the more far fetched ones they admit, but one of their theories was that comets can bring microbes. Mm, yeah. And so they're like, it could have been a fucking comet. And like that explains why it's kind of a cyclical thing. We think of it as this one big wave, but it actually came in a few waves and then shows up again in, well, it showed up before in like, uh, it was Justinian's plague in like Constantinople. And then they had the black death, uh, classic black death, but that had a few mini waves inside of it. And then you had again, the 18th century in China. Um, so that was one of their explanations. Like, I mean, a comet that comes by regularly, like that could have totally been it. That's also one of the theories for the beginnings of human life or life, <laughs> not human life, but like life in general on earth is yeah. spermatogenesis. I'm just like, yeah, a hurtling rock. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we're all just rocks. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. This, so this, I don't know. This, you just, you got a taste of my rabbit hole there <laughs> of a societal collapse. Ooh, love it and how angles and every uh, you know angles and marxism itself was grappling with this notion of like i think the way we should think about it is like we're not unique we're not separate from this like we we're mentioning before with the me- metabolic thing of like we're a part of a system and this system has inputs and outputs this system can be knocked wildly askew and has been by random forces. Yeah. We should look at that and say, what well, parts of those are still operant? Like when they talk about the Mayans. Blindly holding on to what they have. Yeah. You know. And a lot of that was basically imperialist, too. They were like taking over all the Mexica cultures and being like, yeah, fuck y'all. You're, you're paying me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they sat on that and were content with it up till the point of their death. Yeah. They will not undergo fundamental changes to avoid disaster you know maybe they don't know about it but i think in our case they don't want to know about it well i like too the I, I, later he talks about um it, it's a mistake to view this as purely conservation in the sense of like well let's not interfere with nature 
It's like that. It's a metabolic process. Like we said, like that's not an option. <laughs> like humans have always interfered with nature, just like the examples we give, but also in more, you know, benign ways. But like, that's just, it's a living system. Like we can't just like say, we'll, we'll go over here and leave you all alone. Right. <laughs> we don't want to retreat. Yeah. We don't want to go to space and just be like, we'll just look at nature from far away. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't want to historically regress. Mm, yeah, that Kaczynski too. style and go and, and be <laughs> hunter gatherers again, like. Because, but, but there are strains, you know, and, and we'll get it, we'll get into this another time with kind of eco-fascism strains and stuff of like this romantic sort of view of like, what if we turn back the clock and go to, the thing is, as a hunter-gatherer, you are unnecessarily at the whims of nature. You don't want to, <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be that far, right? You, you don't want to be like, hey, nature can just like fucking take me out like right now because i could easily starve like you want to have agriculture and like food surpluses and stuff like that but you essentially want to like have a well-tended garden garden of eden i mean basically right like you want to <laughs> our utopia yeah you, you want to you want to have a well-tended garden where you're keeping everything like you're helping everything be in balance and you're playing your role yes. in that way like a D&D druid but like <laughs> but you're not so, so that that's keeping you like steadily alive and stuff but you're not like fucking everything up yeah so like i i think the characterization of the article does a good job of explaining that like hey we don't have to go all the way back yeah like that's not an option we also don't have to be you know acceleration about us and go all the way forward mm -hmm. and and just like hold on blindly to the demon train <laughs> <laughs> as cool as the, and metal as the demon train is we should get off of the demon train it's kind of like a, a why not do both argument. It's a very De Leon kind of approach of like, let's use the indigenous knowledge we have. Let's also use the science that we have and like fucking move forward to like do shit. Well, and <laughs> I think it's a, it powerfully puts forward why you cannot achieve both of those things within capitalism. I think it makes the argument clear that like, what can be the driving force of this? It's not these bitch asses that are always like, no, what about like profit? What about like making me money? Like they cannot <laughs> happen. They are like physically that it's like asking an, an electron to do something an electronics can't do. I'm not very sciencey, <laughs> but like, it's just laws of physics that cannot do it. No, They're incapable. It's, it, it's truly. Yeah. If that's the one thing you get from this episode, you did it. Yeah. Congrats, you get an A. Yay. There's no grades, but you get an A. <laughs> <laughs> if there were grades, you'd get an A. Yeah, grades are a fuck. No grades, no masters. No grades, oh, yeah. no principles. New <laughs> uh. <laughs> <New> shirt. <laughs> um, the rest of this is kind of just rehammering. I, I, I do like the arguments about the, the elite becoming more entrenched, uh, but we kind of already talked about with that. Like yeah. The Mayan I, society. I think they made a good point, though, that when Marx and Engels talked about having two possible resolutions to things, mm -hmm. it's something to keep in mind for us because some of you, some of you out there, maybe you fall into this. I don't because I'm more pessimistic, <laughs> <laughs> but some of you guys might fall into something like, well, you know, contradictions start to rise up and things start to get bad, but everybody's going to realize that, there's one way out, right? Socialism's that, that that's the way out. Obviously. And we're going to go that way and we're going to everything's going to 
get fixed and it's going to be fine. <laughs> um, but there's two possibilities, really. A revolutionary reconstruction of society at large. Or, and this is possible, this very well may happen, it looks like what we're pointed at now unless we, you know, get up and fight and everything. Uh, barbarism. <laughs> yeah, barbarism. The <laughs> common ruin of the contending classes. <laughs> that could very well happen. It looks that way. And well, not to bum you out. Like, I mean, that's what you're uh, yeah, fighting yeah. against, right? Like, that's what we're, we should be getting up every morning saying, you know, I choose violence. I choose. How can I, <laughs> how can I fucking fight against this? Right. All right. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm tired. Stick a fork in them. They're done. Mm-hmm. All toasty. What are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to do a music episode. Hey, it's been a minute. Yeah, get the beats pumping. We're going to be listening to The Coup, which is Boots Riley's outfit. Yeah, we're going to find out a little bit about this guy's background and his life, and then we're going to listen to some jams and talk about him. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.